and all the time. Good to see you all here this morning. If you're new, my name is Nathan Parikh. I'm blessed to serve as the discipleship pastor here at Hallmark. I hope you all had a blessed Thanksgiving. For everything, there is a season. I'm thankful that in our calendars we have built in a season of giving thanks. And as we turn into the book of Lamentations this morning, we're reminded that there are also seasons of lament. There's also seasons of mourning. And that might not sound like the best post-Thanksgiving, pre-Christmas theme to talk about lament and mourning, uh, but I can assure you that we will end the book today on a high note. Um, one, of the, one of the lost arts in American Christianity, I think, is the art of lament. Uh, in our social media world where everything is polished, everything is seemingly perfect on Instagram, there's not really a place for sorrow, for loss, for failure. But as you read through Scripture, all of the greats dealt with sorrow. Even Jesus himself lamented. And I think we need to understand that lament... After our own sin or the sins of others, we look at the world and see the brokenness. We look at our own hearts and see the things that are broken there. It's okay and acceptable, and from from Scripture, it's expected that we would look at that and have an emotional, deep response. And God's call to us through the book of Lamentations is that we take time to look and lament. And I'm so thankful that we've taken the time to go through what is, for most of us, I think, an unfamiliar book, unfamiliar territory. But if you would open with me to Lamentations chapter 5, we'll be concluding our series, Beauty from Ashes, and we'll be concluding the book of Lamentations today. So I'm excited to walk through this here together. Maybe you're like me, still recovering from Thanksgiving food coma. So let me give you a quick recap of what the last few weeks have been. Uh, Pastor John talked in week number one how God is holy. And because he is holy, he cannot let sin go unpunished. And the big question that week was, do we take our sin as seriously as God does? And the answer was that the people of Israel did not, and we typically do not either. In week number two, we see that God was merciful and that his discipline even is a form of mercy because his purpose in disciplining us and his people is always to draw us back to himself. And the big question was, will God give us more than we can handle? In week number three, it was God is faithful. I loved how Pastor John said that we will never be out of reach of God's love for us. And we walked through probably the most well-known portion of Lamentations that talks about how great is thy faithfulness. And the question that week was, will God ever completely cut off his children because of their failure, because of their sin? And the answer to that, of course, is no. And last week, Pastor John preached that God is patient and how we are all either in a season of suffering or we're coming out of a season of suffering or we're going into a season of suffering. And the question that week was, in that season, will I become bitter or will I become better? And so today, as we turn to chapter 5, chapter 5, just like chapters 1, 2, and 4, it also has 22 verses, one verse for every letter, except unlike the other chapters in the Hebrew Bible, every verse does not begin with like a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It just is the same number of verses, but there's no alphabetical connection there. What chapter 5 is unique, though, is that it is a prayer. It is written as a communal prayer that the Jewish people would pray to the Lord. Of course, Jeremiah is probably the original author. He's the original one who is offering up this prayer, but this would become a prayer that the Jewish people would also pray as well. 
And the big question that I want us to ask this week as we look at the fact that God is gracious is where can we find grace when we fail? Whenever you and I fail, because we have all failed here, yes, we're all willing to admit that. We have sinned, we have fallen short, we have wandered away from God. Maybe you're wandering away from God right now and you're struggling. It was even a struggle to come here this morning. I'm thankful that you're here. For each of us that are in church and watching online, you're watching, you're listening, you're sitting here on purpose for a purpose. But what happens when we wander from God? What happens when we maybe we walked with God for a season and then we have turned away? What happens to us then? We're going to kind of walk through that today in Lamentations chapter 5. So starting in verse 1, the first thing that we're going to look at, though, is that God's righteous judgment of our sin is real. The prayer begins in verse 1 by saying, Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Jeremiah is writing, he's asking God to remember. He's saying, God, don't forget about us. The whole city of Jerusalem, the apple of God's eye, has been decimated. I found this great picture online, or I actually generated this image online with AI, full disclosure. Uh, of this image of Jeremiah sitting in the ruins of Jerusalem, if you want to throw that up there. I feel like this is a great image to kind of give you kind of some of the emotions and the feelings that Jeremiah may have been experiencing uh, during the fall of Jerusalem. He's sitting there, the city is in ruins, his eyes are just kind of glazed over in shock. Right? This is God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. This was supposed to be the the pinnacle of God's presence on earth. And the temple has been destroyed and the chosen people have been carried off captive. And Jeremiah and a few people are, are still left in the land. And they're in shock. And it feels like God has forgotten them. And sometimes when we go through seasons of lament, seasons of suffering, seasons of sorrow and failure, it can feel like God has forgotten about us, can it? It's like, God, this has happened to me. Maybe even I know I deserved it, but God, it feels like you're not there. It feels like you're, you're just not present in my life. And God, I need you to be present. God, don't forget about me. Now remember, in the book of Lamentations, all of the suffering, all the consequences that we see is brought about because of sin, because of disobedience. And that's what sin does. Sin, by nature, separates you and me from God. Sin drives a wedge between my relationship with God and my ability to commune with him and hear him. Whenever you allow sin to fester and to dwell in your life and to take place, take hold in your heart, something happens, doesn't it? You feel that divide. You feel that wedge. You feel that separation that begins to take place as we let that sin sit. And Israel let that sin sit for years and decades until finally God had to let that sin be addressed. And that's what we see in verses 2 through 18, which is the bulk of chapter 5, which kind of spells out what the aftermath of God's judgment on a nation looks like. Now, for sake of time, we won't put each of these 17 verses under the microscope, but I think it's important that we read through them just to kind of get the feeling of the weight of what Israel has had to endure. Starting in verse 2, our inheritance has been turned over to strangers. Our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. The wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. 
Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick. For these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. Those are sober, humbling verses to read, aren't they? Terrible consequences of sin. Again, remember, God had warned his people that this would happen. God did not want this judgment to take place. For 40 years, Jeremiah, his entire ministry, he was called as a young man, about 19 or 20 years old, and he preached to Jerusalem, to Judah, for 40 years, begging them, pleading with them to repent, to turn away from their sin, turn to God, give up all the evil things that they were doing, and they would not listen. But it wasn't just Jeremiah. There were many prophets before him, but it actually goes all the way back to Moses. Uh, in your group time today, or maybe in your own personal devotions this week, look at Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30. And you'll see that Lamentations is almost a perfect mirror of what Moses predicts what would happen if Israel would reject God. Even before Israel had been fully formed as a nation, before Israel's first king, way back when they were exiting Egypt, Moses told them this would happen. And Moses lived 800 years before the events take place in Lamentations. I think we could all agree that 800 years is a pretty decent heads up. Is that fair enough? I think we always need to keep that in mind when we read through the judgments of Scripture. God is not just flying off the handle, laying waste to his people as soon as they make a mistake. He is patient. He is kind. He offers chance after chance after chance. I'm so thankful that he does the same for us. Otherwise, none of us would be here. I would not be here. But there does come a point when God says enough. There does come a point after we have hardened our hearts, we have disobeyed, we have rebelled, we have said, God, no, 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 that God says, okay, I will give you what you want. And this is the result of that. All the suffering, all the grief, all the terror that we read about here in these verses was not a result of Israel's failed economic policies, their failed military methods, their failed political system. All of this was a result of their direct disobedience to God. Sin will always lead you to sorrow. We're constantly being told the opposite. We're told that sin will lead us to more fun, more pleasure, more fulfillment, more fill in the blank. The people of Israel had bought that lie, but now they realize that that was indeed a lie. With Thanksgiving being just a few days ago, I'm reminded of America's unique heritage of our, of our special history. And the contrast of our heritage versus now and the evil that our country is facing, not just externally, but internally. The rot within our national soul is evident. I think we can all feel that rot. There's corruption, violence, greed, perversion. 
What is good is being called evil. What is evil is being called good. And, we're, and we as a nation are beginning to go through some difficult times. And then you read verses 2 through 18. And it's not a one-for-one one match, don't misunderstand me. But I couldn't help as I was reading these verses just to begin to draw some parallels, some similarities between what is happening to Israel in this passage and what we are going through. Now look, America is not Israel. America is not specifically in the Bible. But the Bible makes it clear that God is sovereign over every nation on earth. And he makes it clear that he blesses nations when they do right and he judges nations when they do wrong. God is in control of every nation that has ever existed or will exist. And that is why Christians across all times and all cultures, when they've had the ability and freedom to do so, have been the salt and light in their societies to make where they live, the countries, the communities that they live in, a little bit more reflective of the values and the character of God. This earth is not our home. As followers of Christ, we are all looking forward to the ultimate perfect kingdom of God. Amen. But we are also called to be salt and light here and now. Understand, I bring this up not because I think fixing America's political problems should be our goal. That wasn't the problem with Israel. But to affirm that the problems in our country are not fundamentally political. The problems facing America today, the problems facing your family today, the problems facing churches in America today is fundamentally spiritual. It is a spiritual battle that we have to understand is happening. And as we read Lamentations, that awakens us to that reality. Why was Israel being defeated by their enemies? Why was Israel suffering famine? Why could they not feed their children? Why were they being defeated on every front you can imagine? It wasn't because they didn't have the right policies or politicians in place. It's because they had rejected the one true God. They had rejected the commands of Scripture. Now, as we sit here this morning, I think you would all agree with me on the most part that our families, our churches, and our country are under spiritual attack. And the answer to that will not be handed down to us from on high in the White House, regardless of who is elected. The answer to that problem is right here in this room. It begins with me and my heart and my sin. It begins with you and your heart and your sin. It begins with this church and every gospel-preaching church in this country to realize that we need to be made right with God. We need to be walking in communion and fellowship and holiness. This is where it begins. We cannot expect the world to act like they're Christians when we ourselves are not acting like Christians. That is God's call to us in the book of Lamentations. If you are living in secret sin, if you haven't told anyone about your struggles, if no one knows that your marriage is one argument away from divorce, this church is a safe place for you to share that. Faking it until you make it is not a spiritual gift. That is not how God's economy works. God calls us to be open, to humble ourselves and say, yes, I too am a broken sinner in need of God's grace. And there is freedom there. There is healing there. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Whatever it is that you are struggling with that you're afraid to share, I want you to know that you are sitting next to people that have gone through the same thing and more 
and they're willing to walk alongside you in grace, not in judgment. That's the heart of this church. So in your connect group today, in your discipleship group, or your regeneration group this week, if you have something that you've been holding on to, you've been scared to share, you don't know what to do with, but you know it's, it's bad news, your marriage is in trouble, your family's in trouble, you, your walk with God is in trouble, open up and share. Because sin will always win in isolation, but when we drag it to the light, sin can be defeated through the power of Christ. That's why God has given us this church family. It's not just that we can sit here and look at each other in the pews, so we can go with each other into spiritual battle Monday through Saturday. And that's what we are here for. That's what Israel failed to do. They covered their sin, they hid their sin, they embraced their sin, and eventually that led them to these terrible consequences. So next, in verses 19 through 20, we see God's unchanging nature despite our failures. In verse 19, we are called to remember who God is. Jeremiah writes, But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations. So we see the terrible situation happening in Israel. We see everything that's happening. And then he turns his gaze to God for a moment. He says, But you, God, you reign forever. You are the one that's in control. The God in Scripture is the same God today. The same things that you read that God hates in the Bible, he still hates today. The same love that you see God offer in the Bible, he still offers you today. God does not change, he cannot change, and he will not change. I'm so thankful for that. Sin brings disorder and confusion and chaos. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm so thankful he stands in that stark contrast. That as the world, what is right today will be wrong tomorrow. What is wrong today will be right tomorrow. We never know up or down or right or left. God stands there, ever the same, never changing, always offering us grace, hope, love, forgiveness. I'm so thankful for that. Sin is a terrible thing, but God's grace, I'm so thankful, is so much stronger than sin. God is so much more powerful than evil. God is so much better than the worst thing that you and I have ever done or said or thought. God still loves you and me anyway. The book of Lamentations shows us that he still reigns even in my pain. Again, pain brought about by my own failures. Pain brought about by my own sin. God is still in control. God still reigns and is in control. But that pain, as we go through it, can often cause us to question God in the midst of pain. Look at verse 20. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? So in this prayer, as the circumstances are brought before God, Jeremiah and the people praying can't help but ask, why? As you read through the different laments of Scripture, the the feeling of being abandoned by God is very common. You see that with David. You see that with Job. Even Jesus on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Of course, that was not because of his sin, but because of ours. But that is what the laments of scripture show us, is that even though as we have, as we go through these difficult and dark times, we are naturally bent to ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? Why does it feel like God doesn't care about me? And we can feel maybe uncomfortable expressing those feelings and emotions, but we see all throughout scripture, those are freely expressed. And the way they're expressed, though, is in prayer. 
which also shows us that even though I have the question, even though I have the struggle, even though I have the doubt, I still bring those questions and doubts to who? To God. Say, God, I, I struggle to believe in you right now. I struggle to trust you right now. I honestly feel like you have forsaken me, but I know that's not true. I don't feel it, but I know it. That's when we have to rest in the truth and the teaching of God's word because when you're in the seasons of lament, you cannot rely on your emotions to tell you what is true. You have to always run back to the word of God. And that leads us to the three questions that we have been asking every single week. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is in control? And most importantly, will you trust God until he proves it or even if he doesn't? Imagine being Jeremiah, having faithfully served God for your entire life, only for the end result to be the people you love, the country you love, the city you love are now completely and utterly devastated. That's not what we would call a successful ministry. Good job, Jeremiah. You preached for 40 years and not one person listened to you. Probably not going to be invited to any preaching conferences anytime soon. But he did his job. He was faithful. Will you trust God even if he doesn't prove it to you here and now? The presence of pain does not negate the plan of God. So first in Lamentations 5, we see that God is is righteous, and because of that, he has to judge our sin. And God's unchanging nature, then, he never changes despite our failures. And then finally, in verses 21 through 22, we see God's grace in the face of our rebellion. Verse 21 says that God can bring restoration and renewal. It says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. The conclusion of the prayer begins by asking God for restoration. That phrase, restore us, literally means turn us around. Like we are going in the exact wrong direction. Help us do a 180 and come back to you. It's the same language of repentance. Jeremiah is pleading with God, like, Lord, help us. Change our hearts. Help us to come back to you. We cannot do it on our own. They've heard the sermons for decades at this point. They've been there. They've done that. They've heard it. And yet their hearts remained hard. They needed God to intervene and change them from the inside out. But look what he's asking for. He's not asking for a restoration of the land. He's not asking God for restoration of all the material things they have lost. He says, restore us to who? To yourself. It is spiritual in nature. You see them again acknowledging the root cause of their problems is not political. It's spiritual. He's not saying, hey, restore our military, restore our economy, restore our crops. He says, restore us to you. Bring us back to you and yourself. They want God, not just the things that God can give them. And that's the mark of genuine repentance, of genuine revival in my heart and yours, is that we want not just the blessings that come with following God. We just want God himself, regardless of whether or not we get those material blessings. That's the heart that truly loves God for God. And so as they pray through this prayer, you also see that no one is so far gone that God cannot renew them. Right? They're here, their city is laid waste. It seems like all hope is lost, and yet they are still asking God to help. From Genesis to Revelation, as you read through Scripture, what happens when people turn to God in repentance? What happens when you and I wander away from God and they come back to Him? 
and we say, Father, forgive us, help us, change us. God never rejects those people. God never says to someone who has sinned, hey, you know what, you've you crossed the line. You went too far. You sinned too many times. The sin was too ugly. It was too bad. It was too horrific. You never see that in Scripture. Anyone who humbly approaches the throne of heaven is always welcomed. King David writes in Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Whatever sin or struggle or uh, issue you walked in here this morning with, God has promised in his word that he will not despise you if you bring that to him. He offers only grace. Where can we find grace when we fail? I think a really powerful story in scripture is in the book of Luke. This is before Jesus is crucified, shortly before that time. It's before Peter denies Jesus. Of course, Peter doesn't know he's going to deny Jesus, but Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows what's coming. And his interaction with Peter is really special. In verse 31 of Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Listen to this. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Paul reaffirms this in Romans chapter 8, that Jesus himself prays for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus prays for you. He intercedes for you in heaven. Isn't that powerful? How can you and I find grace when we fail? Jesus knows that we're going to fail. He knows that you're going to mess up. He knows that I'm going to sin against him. And he chose to save us anyway. And he is praying for you now. He says in verse 32, And when you have turned again, he's telling Peter, Hey, you're, you're going to fail, but you will not fail completely. You will not fall off the wagon. It can feel like we fall off the wagon sometimes, can it? With the sins that we commit, the things that we want to do, the things that cross our hearts, cross through our minds, the things that we've done in our past. It's like, how can God ever take me back? Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. He's, he's cursing and swearing that he does not know who, the, who that man is as Jesus is being flogged and whipped and led away to be crucified. Peter fell. Peter failed hard. But God's grace was still there to pick him up. Jesus promised him that he would before even Peter knew what was going to happen. So how can we find grace? Jesus himself is praying for you in heaven as we speak. Humbling. Also though, we have a responsibility as a community of believers, of Christians. In James chapter 5, verse 19, he says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If someone brings him back, if any of you are wandering, it's our job as a faith community to help restore brothers and sisters who are wandering. Maybe you have a family member who is wandering. Maybe you have a friend Maybe it's a parent or a son or a daughter or just a fellow church member here that you know is wandering from God right now. Don't wait on Pastor John to call them up and see how they're doing. It's our responsibility. If you know them, if God has put them in your life, God has given us the authority, the responsibility, and the freedom to say, hey, I'm here to help. 
I'm not here to look down on you. I'm not better than you. I'm here to, help, I'm here to walk alongside you through this season of suffering, through this season of whatever struggle that you are going through right now. And only God can change the heart of a person, right? Only God can bring about genuine revival and renewal. That final uh, word, or that one of the final words in verse 21 of Jeremiah or of, of Lamentations 5 says, renew our days as of old. That's another word, it's the same idea as revival. Would you say that America needs revival? What about Hallmark? What about you? It gets quieter each time, see that? <laughs> America, yeah, yeah, we definitely need help. This church, oh, I think we're pretty good. Me? Well, I don't know. Sure, maybe. Yes. <laughs> Unless you're batting a thousand, we need revival, okay? I need revival. You need revival. There won't be a revival in our nation unless there is a revival in our churches. There won't be a revival in our churches unless there is a revival in you and in me. We have to take responsibility and ownership and stop waiting for someone else to be the person that follows Jesus better. Like our our lives are short. For everything there is a season and our lives themselves are simply a small blip on the radar. God has you here on purpose, for a purpose, and that purpose is not to pursue the American dream. That purpose is to pursue a holy relationship with God. Revival is not something that we can conjure up or force, but we can put our hearts in a position to be receptive to the moving and the working of God. We can put ourselves in position to hear God's voice, to act when God says to act. Will God send revival to people who genuinely do not want it? Will he send revival to people who are distracted and stuck in sin? Sure, he he can, but less likely so. But the people who freely admit their brokenness and their need, and they pursue God and take his word seriously, just maybe he will bring about revival. I want to be a part of what God is doing. Do you? Come on. I want to be a part of what God is doing. Do you? I'm not interested in showing up here every Sunday, looking at Pastor John while he preaches, going to my connect group, listening to someone else talk, go home, completely unchanged, completely unfazed, completely unaltered by the word of God that I'm hearing. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that for our church. I want that for you. I want us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. That's when revival takes place, when I move from simple intake to application. Some of us have been sitting in the pews for a long time. You've heard a lot of good sermons, bad sermons, mediocre sermons. You've heard a lot of sermons. You've heard a lot of teaching. You've, heard, you've been to a lot of Bible studies. You've been through a lot of different Christian things, which is great. But what have you done? What have you changed? How have you pursued God Monday through Saturday? What in your life has been altered in orders that you may be more holy as God is holy? What have you adjusted so that you may not be stuck in sin under God's judgment? Or have we simply accepted the status quo? It's said, yeah, I know I have this sin. I've had this sin for years. It's just part of who I am. And we believe those lies. And we, re- we reject the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given us to give us a victory. Jesus did not die on the cross and raised from the dead so that you and I could be defeated. He did that to give us victory. 
He did that to give us hope. He did that to give us grace. But then chapter 5, it kind of ends in a surprising, unexpected way in verse 22. It says, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. That's how the whole book ends. Go through all this prayer, asking God for help. It kind of ends with this ambiguous question. Unless you've utterly, completely, totally rejected us. I think it kind of sums up the, the vibe of laments and lamentations. You have hope, you have prayer, right next to doubt, right next to fear. But I think probably the reason why the book ends on such an ambiguous note is because there are two distinct possibilities. Sin can have the final say in your life if you refuse to repent. Sin and death and all of its aftermath and destruction can have the final say in your life if you do not submit your life to Christ. Or we can humble ourselves. We can say, God, I am a sinner. I am deserving of judgment, but I now am turning to you completely and wholly the best way I know how. I'm asking you for grace. I'm asking you to save me. Those are the two options that we have. Israel chose wrong. Israel chose to keep pursuing the things that they wanted, to keep ignoring the commands of God, to accept and harbor sin in their hearts until eventually it was too late. For you and for me, the question is open-ended. Will sin have the final say? That is up to you. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He defeated sin and death. But that has to be accepted by you. You and I have to come and say, Father, I am willing to admit my brokenness. I am willing to seek out your help and your salvation. In Jeremiah 29, God says some beautiful things. He says, I will bring you home again. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And then in Jeremiah 31, he says, There is hope for your future. Is not Israel still my son, my darling child, says the Lord? I often have to punish him, but I still love him. That's why I long for him and surely will have mercy on him. Come back again. Return. How long will you wander, my wayward daughter? That is God's heart for us. God does not want you, God does not want me to suffer the consequences of our sins. He wants us to live in holiness and in relationship with him. That is God's will for us. In the ashes of our self-made ruins, God still offers grace. As Jeremiah was sitting there among the ruins of Jerusalem, God was still offering the people grace. He was still giving them hope and promises of the future that they would eventually someday return to the land. And even as Jeremiah was writing these words, God's ultimate plan of salvation was already in motion. 600 years after this, Jesus arrives. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He would bear our sins. He himself would be rejected. And he would take our grief and our sins and our lamentations upon himself. And he would become the fullest expression of God's grace to us. A grace that takes our worst and gives us God's best. That's what God's grace does. Not just for the sins of Jeremiah's people back in the day, but for you and for me today. For people for all time who will come to him. 
You see, our sins did more than just destroy a city or a building or a temple. Our sins put the Son of God on the cross. Every evil thought, every evil desire, every evil action you and I have done, that is what put the Son of God on the cross. That is the effect, the aftermath of our sin. Our journey through Lamentations makes it clear that our small, secret, personal sins are not just minor inconveniences. They are a raised fist against God himself. And he will not let those things go unpunished. He has to punish it. But in his infinite grace, God has also transformed the cross of suffering into a beacon of hope, into a beacon of grace. And the Bible says that if we admit our own sinfulness, if we admit our guilt, we admit our faults, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, we confess that he is the Lord, the owner, the master of our life, God has promised that we will be saved. He will not despise you. He will not turn you away. He will not reject you. He will not say that you are too dirty or too unclean or too far gone. He has said there is hope and a place for you. You can have an answer to the end of Lamentations. As the band comes up, where can we find grace when we fail? I wonder what could happen this morning if you who are here in the room, if you guys who are watching online, if we truly surrendered to Jesus, if you took some time to lament and be sorrowful over your sin, over the wickedness and brokenness of your own heart, and then let that brokenness lead you to repentance and turn to Christ with all of your heart. Like David prayed in Psalm chapter 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That can be your prayer today. And God will answer that prayer. God, in the book of Lamentations, is inviting us, he's inviting you to sorrow over the effects of your sin, over the damage that my rebellion and yours has caused in our life, in our families, in the world around us. Sin always has side effects. But when we bring our condemnation to Jesus, we will not suffer condemnation. The Bible says we will suffer nothing. He will offer to us hope. He will offer to us forgiveness. He will offer to us grace. So if you don't know that you know that you know that you are a follower of Jesus this morning, if you are lost and you feel what Jeremiah writes in chapter 2, that no amount of soap can make you clean, this is an invitation for you to repent and to turn to God for salvation. There's only one way of salvation that is approved by God. That's not your church attendance. It's not your good works. It is the blood of Jesus on the cross. That is what you and I have to accept. And God pleads in Jeremiah chapter 2 again. He says, when will you stop running? Please, if you don't know that you are a follower of Christ, if you know that you're lost, please stop running today. If you feel God knocking at the door of your heart, if you're tired of arguing with God, fighting with him, rebelling against him, and you're willing to admit that you need his help, you're willing to confess to your own sinfulness, and put your faith in Christ alone to save you, then I simply want to pray over you. As they play the music, as every head is bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you guys to do something for me today. I'm going to ask you to acknowledge, to publicly take a step forward for Jesus. If that's you today, if with no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye is closed, if you are not confident that you are a true follower of Jesus, but you want to follow him, You say, God, I need help. 
I know I've been wandering. I've been struggling. And I don't know that I know that I'm his child. Would you just stand right where you're at? No one looking around. You want to say, I'm tired of running, but I want to surrender. God, I want a clean heart. God, I don't want to be under your judgment. I want to be under your grace. If that's you, you would be brave enough to stand. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you do know that you are a follower of Christ, but you failed, you've wandered over the last week, the last month, the last year, and you can sense that your heart has wandered away from God, or you've got maybe unconfessed sin, some secret sin that no one else knows about besides you and God. Maybe you know that your spouse or your son or your daughter, they've wandered from God. I'm going to ask you to stand as well, right where you're at. In Lamentations, God is calling us to wake up, to take sin seriously and turn back to him. God is waiting. And we need, as a church, to learn how to lament over our sin, over the sins of others, over the brokenness that's in the world today, over our own betrayal of God. Only God can change my heart and yours. Only God can change the hearts of your loved ones. Only God can change the trajectory and the path of someone's eternity. And Lamentations is a wake-up call to re-examine our walk with God, to confront our sins, not superficially, but to humble ourselves and put ourselves at the feet of Jesus, who is a merciful king. I know it's scary that if you're a church person to admit that you have a secret sin, if you've been hiding something, I've been where you are. But in confession, there is healing. In Christ, there is grace, there is renewal, there is restoration. It's time to stop wearing the mask. You are in a safe place among people that will help you and love you, not judge you. There's something about publicly acknowledging and saying that you're surrendering, that you want more of God and you want more from God. So for those of you who are standing, let me pray over you right now. Father, I thank you, Lord, for those who have taken the stand of courage this morning. For those who realize that they have been wandering from you and they need salvation, Lord, I pray that they would realize that they cannot save themselves. They will put their faith in Christ alone to save them from their sins and look to him, the author and finisher of their faith. Father, I pray for my fellow brothers and sisters this morning who are standing because of a sin that they are struggling with or sin in their family that they know a loved one has wandered far from you. Lord, give them hope. Give them courage. Give them grace. If they are stuck in some sin, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to tell someone today. Tell someone in their connect group. Tell one of the pastors on staff. But let them not go home hiding anymore. Lord, we know that with you there is freedom, there is hope, and there is healing. Father, I pray for the loved ones that are represented here who are being prayed for even now. Spouses, sons, daughters, grandparents, grandchildren. Father, I pray for them. Lord, only you can bring someone back. Only you can get a hold of someone's heart. And Lord, we pray that right now, even as we are praying, that you would grab a hold of each heart, that you would shake them and draw them to yourself, that you would save them. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your goodness, and your grace, even though we don't deserve it. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to thank those of you who stood.
We're going to continue to have an invitation. The altar will be open. Uh, Feel free to come forward and pray. I'll be down front as well if you want to talk, and I'll be happy to pray with you. If you were one of the people that stood up, I would ask that you fill out one of the connect cards that's right in front of you. If you you gave your life to Christ, just go ahead and mark that you want a relationship with Jesus. If you have a secret sin that you're struggling with, write it out here on the back on the prayer so that we can know. We can help. You're not going to find judgment. You're not going to find condemnation. But your sin will not be defeated in isolation. If you're praying for a loved one, write their name on the back of the prayer card. And we will pray for them. We will pray over them. And so come forward now as as the altar is open, as, as the band plays. And let's lament over our sin. Let's bring our hearts to the Lord. And he will offer us grace.